All right, here we go, here we go. Turn in your Bible to the book of Isaiah. And if you're just joining us, or if you've been out uh, for a few Sundays, uh, we're in a verse-by-verse study of the book of Isaiah. Uh, the title of our study is Seeing God Through Judgment and Redemption. Uh, the, the hero, the hero of the book of Isaiah is not the prophet Isaiah. Uh, although we could certainly hold him up as an example and as a model to follow. The, the hero of the book of Isaiah is the same hero of every book of the Bible, and that is God himself. Uh, we come to understand who God is and what he's like uh, through all different sorts of uh, types of Bible books. And Isaiah being a prophetic book, we get to see God as he ministers in the lives of people, as he pronounces both redemption and judgment. Uh, upon nations and peoples. And uh, so as we, as we look at this chapter and as we conclude this section today, keep in mind what we're really trying to do is to get to know God better and to let that guide our faith uh, as we seek to walk with him. So we find, our, our way, our sec- our, yeah, we find ourselves in uh, a section in verses uh, 20 to 23, and really we can, 24 is related, but it's its own section uh, a, a section that we've entitled God's Judgment on the Nations. And uh, just by way of review, I know it's been a little while since we've seen this. So this is how we divide up the book of Isaiah. There's a major division uh, between chapters 35, 1 to 35 and chapter 40 and 66. Uh, in fact, generally the division is seen in between 30, 39 and chapter 40. Uh, we could divide that into there's a little historical uh, parenthesis, as we're calling it, uh, with Hezekiah's sickness and salvation and then his... Um, his uh, uh, falling away and disobedience and then coming back. Um, so where are we? We've talked about prophecies against Judah. Now we're dealing with prophecies against the nations. And then today we're going to start that third section, prophecies of the day of the Lord. As you see, the, the whole first section of the book of Isaiah um, is about judgment. And the second part is about hope and redemption, hence our title. It's, it's seeing God through judgment and redemption. So uh, we're, we're rocking right along. We are about one-third of the way through this huge book, so I, I think uh, we've got a good power setting dialed in, and uh, we're, we're rocking along here. We're not, um, we're not picking up every rock and stone along the way. We don't have time to do that, but hopefully we're hitting the themes, and uh, we pull the car over and look around when, uh, when it's appropriate to do so. Okay, so looking back at chapter 20, we have seen God's judgment on Egypt and Ethiopia. In chapter 21, we've seen his judgment on Babylon. Uh, We've seen it, uh, as we looked last time, on Edom in chapter 21, uh, verse 11. And uh, we looked at God's judgment on Israel itself, the Valley of Vision in verse 22. And uh, that's that's kind of where we've we've come now. Just to get you oriented, because uh, it's Sunday morning, it's been a long weekend, and you may not be thinking ancient Near Eastern geography. So here we go. Uh, this is a little uh, picture of the Middle East, and uh, you'll recognize uh, the Great Sea, the Mediterranean, the Persian Gulf, the Red Sea, the three major bodies of water uh, in that part of the world, the Black Sea up to the north there, up near Turkey, and. Um, so what we're thinking about is what's going on in this region. Now, just about every section you see there that is white is controlled by what country in Isaiah's day? Assyria. 
And this is, this is hard to imagine. You know, this is a very diverse part of the world. Uh, there are all sorts of peoples, all sorts of dialects, all sorts of culture. And what's happened at this particular time in world history is that there are these massive superpowers that are rising up and they're just bringing everybody under their control and their power. So as difficult as this is to imagine, that whole region, virtually that whole region, is controlled by a country called Assyria. Now, tell me about Assyria. What were they like? Don't fail me, guys. Come on. We've been talking for months about this. What were they like? What did you learn? Yes, Tucker. They are much worse than the Mongolians. <laughs> worse than the Mongolians. Mm-hmm. Tucker's absolutely right. Thank you. You're, uh, we have a young theologian here. St- he saved the rest of you. I just want you to know that, okay? Because he jumped in there at the last minute. So thank you, Tucker. You're absolutely right. These were, the, this was a ruthless nation. This was a nation that ruled by the sword, uh, that they led by intimidation and fear. Uh, they were, as Tucker uh, correctly noted, uh, experts in torture and uh, killing and hurting in all sorts of hor- horrific ways. Uh, and, and, you know, you know this because uh, Assyria and Babylon, which were, were very similar nations, you remember uh, our good friend, the prophet Jonah, when God said, um, after Jonah gave the most pathetic sermon in the Bible, uh, and the whole nation repented, and God spared the judgment on the whole nation of Nineveh uh, as a, a huge um, capital city of, of, um, of uh, the Babylonian Empire, um, Jonah wasn't happy about that, was he? And he was not happy about it because this was a wicked nation. And Jonah thought that God was being unjust to not punish these horrible people. And that reminds us uh, what the New Testament says, that um, that even the chief of sinners uh, can be a recipient of God's mercy, right, if they will turn and repent. But that's the political situation. That's what's going on. And you'll notice there's lots of different... Uh, 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 cities and nations represented there. If we go to the second map that you've seen, uh, kind of remove some of the clutter, these are the cities that are mentioned and the countries that are mentioned in this section of Isaiah's judgment and prophecy. And so <laughs> you got to put this in context now. So you got Assyria is controlling this whole region and there's all these different countries, all these different peoples represented and um, God has pronounced judgment on Assyria, but then what does he do? He calls out all these different nations, all these different peoples, and says, you know what? Um, Assyria is going to fall, but that doesn't mean you're off the hook. Um, that all of these nations will come to judgment unless they repent. And we've talked about most of these, uh, except for one, and that's the one we're going to talk about today, and that is the city of Tyre. Okay, so uh, one quick uh, uh, just point here. Remember, as you're trying to navigate through this section of your Bible reading plan, and I know, I know this is the section you want to skip because it's just kind of hard to follow. Don't do that. Remember, this whole section follows a very logical pattern. Uh, each section is introduced by that little phrase, the oracle concerning, and that delimits off the section, and you see that phrase repeating in all of those verses, and that uh, tells us there's a new paragraph of judgment coming against another country. 
Okay, so let's uh, pick it up where we left off last time in chapter 23. Turn over there to Isaiah chapter 23, and let's read about the fall of Tyre. The oracle concerning Tyre. Now, now you know where I'm going, because we're going to read this, and you know what's coming. Right? What's coming? You're going to tell me what is the purpose, what is the reason for God's judgment on this nation? And what do we learn about God along the way? Okay, that's what we're going to try to do. Why is God bringing judgment on Tyre? And um, what is uh, what is the purpose for God's... What do we learn about God in that? Now, interestingly, do you know where Tyre is today? It's in far south Lebanon. And as we're going to see in our prophecies today, one of the prophecies is that the uh, the old city once it got wiped out, would never be what it once was. Now, there is a modern city today called Tyre, but the ancient city, that literally is all that remains. Okay? And you can see you can see the modern buildings in the background there, of course. That's the ruins of the ancient city. And uh, we'll find out why uh, that ancient city has not been rebuilt and um and something of that today so let's read the prophecy right and you're gonna okay two questions right why is judgment coming what do we learn about god chapter 23 verse 1 the oracle concerning tyre whale o ships of tarshish speaking of mr jonah where is tarshish it's not nice to pull all this geography on you so early in the morning is it where is tarshish some of you know this close Spain, probably ancient Spain. We don't know for sure, but it probably was Spain. So you remember, so you remember when, when God told, uh, when God told Jonah, go to Nineveh, you know, and he's over here somewhere, go to Nineveh. Where's Spain? Over here somewhere, right? So it's, it's a 180 degrees the wrong direction. So that, that was uh, Jonah, the, the uh, turnaround prophet, right? Okay. So here we go. So Tarshish. For Tyre is destroyed without house or harbor. Now think about this. Tyre in the ancient day was this massive, prominent coastal city that had a huge harbor. And so the reason there was so much wealth in Tyre was because it was a great port city where ships like from Tarshish in Spain would go across the Mediterranean. They would park in the harbor of Tyre and they would unload their merchandise and so as Tyre, as judgment is pronounced against Tyre, guess who's really upset about it? <laughs> all those people that just lost all their business, sending their ships from Tarshish to Tyre to sell all their goods and do all their trading. Well, this Tyre, this city is going to be destroyed. And with it, all of the commerce and merchandise that would go with that. So Isaiah calls out, Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre, this great port city, is destroyed without house or harbor, right? You can't park your ship there without a harbor. It is reported to them from the land of Cyprus, Be silent, you inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon. Your messengers cross the sea. And we're on many waters. He's talking about the word going out of, of Tyre's undoing. Verse 3, And we're on many waters. The grain of the Nile, the harvest of the river, was her revenue. And she, Tyre, was the market of the nations. Again, emphasizing their wealth and their importance in the trade industry. Verse 4, Be ashamed, 
O Sidon. For the sea speaks, the stronghold of the sea, saying, I have neither travailed nor given birth. I have neither brought up young men nor reared virgins. And when they report, and when the report reaches Egypt, they will be in anguish at the report of Tyre. So you see what's going, um, like, like the sea billows roll, the report of Tyre's destruction is going out to all of these other countries, all of which rely on Tyre as this important port city, and this place has been obliterated. And everybody's upset. They've lost business, they're losing their jobs, they're losing their livelihood. Everybody's upset about this. Verse 6, Pass over to Tarshish. Wail, O inhabitants of the coastland. Is this your jubilant city? Whose origin is from antiquity? This is a, Tyre was a very, very old city. Uh, back to like 2500, 3000 BC when it was founded. Um, whose origin is from antiquity? Whose feet used to carry her to colonize distant places? Who has, plan, who has planned this against Tyre? The bestower of crowns. Whose merchants were princes? Whose traders were the honored of the earth? The Lord of hosts has planned it. You see that? So verse 8, who has planned this, right? Who, who is responsible for this destruction? Well, verse 9 tells us God did it. The Lord of hosts has planned it to defile the pride of all beauty, to despise all the honored of the earth. Overflow your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no more restraint, for he has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has made the kingdoms to tremble. The Lord has given a command concerning Canaan to demolish its strongholds. For he has said... You shall exult no more, O crushed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, pass over to Cyprus. Even there you will find no rest. You remember where Cyprus was on the map, right? Okay, other other uh, uh, city nearby. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people which was not. Assyria appointed it for desert creatures. They erected their siege towers. They stripped its palaces. They made it a ruin. Now, now, did you see that? They just told us who is going to be God's agent to level Tyre in that section, right? We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, verse 15. Now, in that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years like the days of one king. And at the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the harlot. Take your harp, walk around the city, O forgotten harlot. Pluck the strings skillfully. Sing at many songs that you may be remembered. And it will come about at the end of 70 years that the Lord will visit Tyre. Then she will go back to her harlot's wages and will play the harlot with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. Her gain and her harlot's wages will be set apart to the Lord. It will not be stored up or hoarded, but her gain will become sufficient food and choice attire for those who dwell in the presence of the Lord. Whoo! That last part's a little confusing, but we'll work through it, okay? What do you see? What's going on here? Why is this prominent, rich, important port city of commerce in the ancient day, been around for thousands of years. Why is it, why is it going to be destroyed? 
Daryl? That's right. That's right. Yeah, we saw a prophecy against him, didn't we? Prophecy against the king of Tyre. We were talking about, remember, uh, the fall of Satan and that, and one of them was the king of Tyre. Remember, we talked about that in Ezekiel. All right. Very good. Someone else. Why is this coming about? Okay. Okay, yeah, good observation, very good. Someone else? Why is this coming about? See, see, whenever God pronounces judgment and prophecy, and of course, the purpose of this, this hasn't happened yet. Isaiah is prophesying this. This has not happened yet historically. And it's a warning. And God's not just saying, I don't like you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, kill people and break your city. What, what, he's, what he's saying is, this is coming against you, and here's why in hopes that they will repent, right? Just like Nineveh did. So why is God bringing his judgment? We get some insights here. Yes, look at verse 9. Good job. The Lord of hosts has planned it to defile the pride of all beauty and to despise all the honored of the earth. Like every single other nation we've seen, God bring judgment against what is the fault of the city of Tyre. It's their pride. It's their arrogance. And like every other country, they have false gods, they have false religion, they have false deities, they have temples, they have places of worship. They are engaged in idolatrous worship. And in their pride, what do they think about that? Yeah, they, they think that they did it all. And, and you think about this, this is like, like, what is this like? I mean, what, what prominent port city in America could we compare this to where there's money and there's commerce and there's San Francisco, like the Bay Area, New York. Yeah, and you know, money and stuff and prominence. And they're not sitting around thinking, oh, we need to, we need to worship the Lord. You know, they're, they're into life and stuff and their achievements and their accomplishment. And God says, that's a problem. That's a problem. Okay, so it it is their pride. Look down at verse... uh, Where is it? Um, Yeah, it's it's at the second half of verse 9 there. To despise all the honored of the earth. What he's saying is Tyre is not being singled out alone. He's saying this problem of self-focused human autonomy, human pride is something that God is opposed to and despises in all of the earth. And uh, that's what we've seen in this section. You know, uh, this is the last sort of particular judgment that God pronounces. But the theme is the same, uh, that he is coming against uh, the selfish pride and and, uh, false worship of a pagan people. Now, um, what do we learn about God? Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. There's one other thing. One, one, other, one other thing that he mentions here before we move on to the second question. What else does he mention here? 
about why God is bringing judgment. It's at the end of the chapter. It's a metaphor, so it's kind of hard to understand, but you'll get it. Then they will go back to their... God's going to bring some deliverance. This is really interesting how this happens historically. God brings a season of deliverance. Historically, the Babylonians destroy... The, well, I, I won't give it away because it's really kind of... Okay, but there, there's, it's like there's a judgment that comes and then God gives them a little reprieve. They go back. They don't repent. They go right back to their old idolatry and their old sin and then God wipes them out forever. Okay, so... What does it say there at the very end of the chapter, uh, verses uh, uh, 17 and 18? What do they go back to? Their harlotry. Um, And this is probably not a reference to physical harlotry, but like many times in the Bible, the Bible uses harlotry or adultery as a metaphor of spiritual unfaithfulness. When, When people go after other gods instead of the true God in their worship. Okay? And so what is he saying? They go right back to their paganism. They go right back to their worship. And uh, this could be a reference to the manner in which they were conducting business. Verse 18, her gain and her harlot's wages. Um, uh, Talking again about the prominence of the city there. But then God uh, will bring final judgment as we see uh, in verses 24 and following. But this is really interesting uh, how this plays about. Um, What do we learn about God in this particular judgment? God is against capitalism, right? That's what this is all about. No, no, no. That's not, no, that's not it. What, what is this really about? What is? God, yeah, Melissa. Right. That's right. Yeah, he desires them to repent, so he doesn't utterly destroy them with the first round. And, and we've we've often seen in our chapters that God's judgment does come in tears, right? It does come in in uh, in, in different waves. Uh, with each one giving, in a sense, a time for that nation to repent. But what, what does God really care about here? What do, you, what do you see that God is all wound up about as he would bring judgment against this country? What's that? I, I heard their arrogance. Their arrogance and pride. And Becky? Yeah, yeah. Do you see it's the same thing? And, and when you're reading this section in your Bible reading plan, here's what you're supposed to do. This is completely the point of this whole section. You ready? Again? Is it pride again? Next country. Pride. Next country. Pride. Next country. Pride. Maybe God is really serious. Maybe he really is opposed to the proud. Right? Because arrogance and a a self-worship, a self-focus, is the opposite of a dependent trust in God, which is who he made us to be. So we are supposed to, we're not supposed to get creative in reading all this. We're we're supposed to see the pattern that God brings judgment for the very same thing to a diverse series of nations because that's the point. Uh, And we we got an American version of this. I hate to tell you, right? We got an American version. It's it's called the American dream. It's called the uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's a self-made man, right? It's a country of opportunities. and, And are we thankful uh, for much of that, it is God's blessing and God's kindness. Yes, absolutely. But not as, a, as an occasion for pride and, and trusting in self instead of trusting in our Creator. 
And so the repetition of this section is designed to mount up in our hearts this this thought that God really is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That walking with God is about a humble dependence and trust, not an arrogance, focus, uh, self-focus, and and living in in, uh, delusional self-autonomy. Um, there, there's one other thing here. You caught it. Uh, God has a favorite term. I mentioned it last week that he uses to describe himself when he comes in judgment. We've seen it over and over and over again. What is it? It's the Lord of hosts. And this is interesting because the Lord of hosts is God's military title. This is the commander in chief language of the Bible. And we're going to see as we get into the next chapter That as God comes as the Lord of hosts, that he comes with the armies of heaven, but he comes against not just human enemies, but angelic enemies. And this gets really interesting here. I mean, you're you're in the right place. This is a really interesting uh, time in our study here. But before we do that, uh, I want to cross-reference this prophecy of Tyre in Isaiah with ezekiel's prophecy in ezekiel chapter 26 and there's a reason for this so flip over to ezekiel 26 Um, this is where the history of what happened is absolutely amazing Um, ezekiel even more than isaiah gives us intricate detail about how this prophecy will come to pass this destruction of tyre and i want you to see it and then i want to teach you the history okay because the history behind this is pretty incredible. Okay, so Ezekiel chapter 26, just hold your place in Isaiah. Uh, Let me just run through this. You'll see a lot of similarities with Isaiah, but listen to some of the new details that we get, okay? Now, in the this is Ezekiel 26. Now, in the 11th year, on the first of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said concerning Jerusalem, Aha! The gateway of the peoples is broken. So what's happening here? is that Jerusalem has been uh, broken down in one of the uh, Babylonian sieges. It has opened up to me, so Tyre sees an opportunity to take advantage of that, right? Uh, what, What does Tyre say? I shall be filled now that she is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and I will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. Between the time of Isaiah's prophecy And when it is finally obliterated, according to the prophecy, they had five sieges against the city of Tyre. That's incredible. Five different enemies came at different times to do that. And that's in direct fulfillment of what uh, Ezekiel was just told. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre. I will bring many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. They will destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. And I listen to this language now. I will scrape her debris from her and make her a bare rock. Okay, remember that language. She will be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. And she will become spoil for the nations. Also her daughters who are on the mainland will be slain by the sword, and they will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses and chariots and cavalry, cavalry, excuse me, one's a cross and one's a bunch of horses, um, and a great army, and will slay you, 
Slay your daughters on the mainland with the sword, and he will make siege walls against you. Cast up a ramp against you and raise up a large shield against you. The blow of his battering rams he will direct against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers. Because of the multitude of his horses, the dust raised by them will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the cavalry and wagons and chariots when he enters your gates as men enter a city that is breached. With the hoofs of his horses, he will trample on your streets. He will slay your people with the sword and your strong pillars will come down to the ground. Also, they will make a spoil of your riches and a prey of your merchandise, break down your walls, destroy your pleasant houses, throw your stones and your timbers and your debris. Where? Why? You'll find out in a little bit. Why do they throw it all in the ocean? You'll find out. So I will silence the sound of your songs and the sound of your harps will be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock. You will be a place for the spreading of nets. You will be built no more. For I, the Lord, have spoken, declares the Lord God. Okay, so what's going on here? Uh, The nation of Tyre and Ezekiel. Now remember, Tyre, let's go back to our map here. Tyre is right on the coast, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a port city, right here, okay? And um, so at the time of the prophecy, it is a coastal city, and it's a port city. So what's going to happen in the prophecy is there's going to be a first wave of persecution, a first wave, a first wave of, of destruction where Nebuchadnezzar, and, and who's, who's he? He's the king of Babylon. So this is, uh, remember, remember our, our, our history here. We have uh, the region uh, controlled by Assyria, right? And then the Assyrians, and who's going to take over after them? The Babylonians, and then after the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, and after them, the Greeks, and after them, the... Okay, you've got to remember that because Ezekiel's prophecy covers multiple generations of superpowers, okay? So under Babylon's rule, Nebuchadnezzar the king, we remember him from the book of Daniel, he's going to come and destroy the mainland. That happens in 573 B.C. We have biblical history that tells us that, and we also have extra biblical history that tells us that. So verse 8, what does it say? It says, uh, it actually tells, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, is going to come and he's going he's gonna to besiege the city. Okay, so that happens in 573. Next, we, we learn two times in this prophecy that the mainland would be made a bare rock. That's in verse 4. Well, several generations later, okay, so Babylon goes away, the Medes and Persians, they're taken over by the Greeks. So now this guy named Alexander the Great, who you know from history, that, that great military uh, leader, Scrape the city clean in 332. Now, this is a secular historian. The larger part of the site of the once great city is now bare as the top of a rock. That's a secular historian using the same language as the Bible. And uh, like I said, there's a modern city of Tyre, but as you saw in the ruins, the the ancient city is largely just that one little ruin and, and it's just nothing. So Alexander the Great comes in, he, he literally scrapes the city. He, he um, bulldozes it. Of course, they didn't have John Deere implements back then, but you know, he, just, he bulldozes the whole thing. And as we learned 
from the prophecy, where do they throw all the ruins? In the sea. Why do they do that? Well, interesting. When Nebuchadnezzar comes in in 573 to destroy the mainland, the people get word of it. This is a fortified city, so they put up a fight. They realize we're not going to win against Mr. Nebuchadnezzar. He's too strong. So what do they do? They make a bridge, and they go out to... Well, they don't make a bridge. They, they, they retreat to an island off of the mainland, and all of the inhabitants of Tyre now go out to the island. Well, this is a fortified thing there, and Nebuchadnezzar can't get them. He, he can't figure out how to, how to destroy them, and so he gives up, and he goes home. So now Tyre has moved out from the mainland that got destroyed to this little island nation now. Well, Alexander the Great comes in and he goes, I know how to do this. He takes the mess that Nebuchadnezzar made, scrapes the city, throws it all into the ocean, and builds a one kilometer, almost a half a mile bridge out to the island and his armies just go out and obliterate everybody. Interesting, right? Because Ezekiel, years before this happened, talks about him scraping the mainland like a bare rock, throwing it into the ocean. We're kind of scratching our heads going, okay, well, I guess that's what you do with all your garbage when you're done with it, right? Well, no, it was an intentional battle strategy. Okay, so on your your notes there, um, the debris would be thrown into the water. Alexander the Great used the remains of the mainland city to build a causeway to the island. And fishermen would spread their nets over the site. And again, our secular historian, Philip Myers, a place where fishermen that still frequent the spot spread their nets to dry. Now, let me show you this. We'll come back to the the notes here in a minute. This is what it looked like. So uh, the old city tire is down here. Okay, and here's our time frame between approximately November 333, August of 332. That's Alexander the Great's siege. He comes in, he gets all, he scrapes all the junk off of here, piles it up, moves it out, and they start throwing it into the ocean, building a bridge all the way out to the island. You see, it's a a significant island. Um, But this is is all fortified, right? This is all uh, towers and walls and battle, and they've got armies and horses and all sorts of things to try to protect themselves on that island, in addition to the fact that they had the advantage that they were surrounded by water. Um, so, so Alexander the Great builds that bridge out there, and then just once that happened, it was all over. Okay, here, here's another interesting little uh, little graphic here so you can see. So, so the initial phase, right, 13-year siege, destroys old Tyre, 586 to 573, and then a couple hundred years later, You've got Alexander the Great, 332, takes the ruins of old Tyre, builds that causeway or that bridge. Um, you notice the um, there's a historic reference there, uh, a historian dated from 50 B.C. that gives account that there were uh, 10,000 men carrying stones to construct the mole 60 meters wide and, uh, what is that, 80 meters long, so that's a half a mile, right? Um, uh, yeah, 800 meters, so so a half a mile. Um, yeah, you're thinking, well, how do they move all that stuff if they didn't have one of those big bulldozers? Slavery, right? People. Um, and 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 so so kids, when you think mom is asking you a lot when she asks you to go weed the garden, pull out some of the rocks, okay? Just be glad you weren't in Mr. Alexander the Great's uh, uh, you know team of bridge builders there, okay? Um, Okay, so you got, isn't that interesting? So you have the prophecy, and you kind of go, well, okay, 
And then a couple hundred years later, it comes to fulfillment and you go, man, that's incredible how detailed the prophecy is fulfilled. Well, we know all prophecies are fulfilled in detail. It's just we don't always have accurate historic references that show how it was fulfilled. And in this case, the city, uh, the destruction of Tyre is just one of those things that uh, we have a lot of historic reference on how it happened. Okay, isn't that interesting? Okay, so let's go back to the notes here real quick. We'll finish this up. So um, where are we here? Fishermen would spread their nets over the site. That's verse 5, and our historian verifies that. Many nations would rise against her in verse 3. Alexander's navy used to conquer... Uh, that was used to conquer the island was made of many nations. And you know, Alexander the Great, like, like all these other rulers, they, they were pulling countries together and uh, bringing them into their armies and our, their navies. And uh, so the many nations that took over under Alexander's rule uh, fulfilled that le- level of the prophecy. It would never be rebuilt again. The mainland was never rebuilt. The island, after 1,600 years, was also never uh, rebuilt in terms of its prominence. Uh, interesting what's happened today. If you go to Lebanon today, I was, I was reading, I've never been to Lebanon. Um, we have some missionary friends there. You guys know um, both uh, uh, Peter Scarborough and um, I'm blanking on his brother's name. Um, the Scarboroughs, they're our missionaries. Uh, help me here. Uh, Peter and uh, Mark. Mark. Mark is the older brother. Peter is the younger brother. Uh, Mark and Peter Scarborough that, that run a Bible institute in Lebanon uh, we, we should ask them about this. Maybe we can do a field trip over there and, and see this. But what's happened is there is a modern city of Tyre, and what's happened over the years is that essentially the island and the mainland have combined. So it, it's, it's, it's completely different geography as what we have here. But you have this reference that the, those old ruins are still sitting there. No one's built on top of them. No one's touched them. You still have the, the bare rock as the prophecy uh, predicts. And it would never be found again. The Tyre of wealth and splendor would never come to pass again. How many of you have heard of the city of Tyre outside of the Bible? That's, you see, that's what I thought. We know New York City. We know San Francisco is prominent. You don't know Tyre because it's nothing like what it was in the ancient day in terms of its importance and prominence, which is exactly what the prophecy predicted. Okay, questions on that? Isn't that interesting? I'll put the pictures back up so you can look a little more. Okay, questions on that? Yeah, it's it's kind of like it's almost like a peninsula now. Yeah, if you look at Google Maps and well, actually, our our favorite millennial Amber in the back there is uh, is already brought it up Google Maps. See, see, they're fast, aren't they? Um, yeah, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a little peninsula. I should have put it up there, um, but the, the topography is totally different than in the ancient day. Yeah, ask your favorite millennial to help you. Isn't that amazing? Okay. Right. Yeah, so this is called uh, Sohu, I think was the, the ancient name. Um, but the original prophecy comes against the mainland city. The, the, what, what's happened is the name has changed. So what were the people that lived on the island versus the people that lived here ancient-wise? That's hard to tell. What we know from Isaiah and Ezekiel is that the original prophecy comes against the mainland and then it comes against the island because it's the same people. They're just inhabiting two different areas. 
but you're correct. That's correct. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Back to Isaiah. Back to Isaiah. Look at verse 24. Uh, chapter 24. Back to Isaiah. 24. Now, are you ready? You ready? Are your seatbelts fastened? Watch this. Verse 24. Isn't it interesting that with this picture in our minds from this prophecy against Tyre, chapter 24, verse 1 says this. Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, scatters its inhabitants, and the people will be like the priests, the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the creditor like the debtor, right? We get the idea. Everybody's in the same predicament is the point, right? The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled for Yahweh has spoken this word. You ready for this? Everything we've just read in this section, chapter after chapter, destruction after destruction, country after country, that was merely previews of coming attractions. Right? That's just the illustration. That's just the table setting for the fact that God is alerting the nations not to a temporal judgment where a foreign nation is going to come in, but to a final judgment when every tribe and tongue and nation will stand and give an account to this great God and great King. You know, one of the things that God often does in the Bible, and I, be- I believe, I think I can support this biblically, one of the reasons that God allows some level of evil and destruction and, and allows us to witness that is that that is a warning of what's to come. You know, even weather. You, you know, weather destroyed, you know, hurricane or tornado, and we go, man, why all this? And God says, that's what it's going to be like in the day of judgment, but a lot worse. Because I am the storm, God says. And when we see judgment after judgment in these countries, God says, just like Tyre was laid waste, God will let... Can you imagine that? God scrapes the whole earth bare in his judgment and then burns up the place. That's what Peter says. Peter's letter tells us that. And that's what's coming. Why is it coming? We've seen it today. It's in every chapter we've looked at. One word. It's pride. Human pride. Human autonomy. The creature saying to the creator, I don't need you. I don't want you. I don't have to depend on you. I can do it better myself. That brings God's worldwide final judgment. And so everything we've read was just preparatory for this next chapter that is huge in the book of Isaiah where God describes what the end judgment is going to be like. So God is serious about his judgment, isn't he? He's serious about 
our dependence and our worship and our trust in him as opposed to our own delusional self-human autonomy. And yet he's also merciful, isn't he? He's giving us time to repent. He continues to give us time to repent, that we would turn from our wickedness. We, we saw that, right? God does not take delight in the destruction of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would repent. So as Peter tells us again in his letter, God is not slow as some count slowness. Why isn't the day of the Lord here yet? Because God desires many people to repent and come to him. So what do we do with this? Uh, We're reminded that this day is coming. We're reminded that God is precise in how he brings about prophecy, exactly the way uh, history uh, recounts that God is coming uh, in his military attire to judge the living and the dead at the day of judgment. And yet, even though that day is coming, that he is merciful and gives us time to repent. And that that should provoke a, a sense of gratitude to him for those of us that know Christ and have repented. And you know what else this should do? It should motivate an urgency on our part to go to people that we care about and tell them this day is coming. And these pictures of, of temporal judgment are just the precursors of that final judgment. And so we call men and women to repent while God is yet merciful in giving them time to do so. Okay, put a comment in your notes and we'll come back and we'll talk more about chapter 24 next time. Father, we're grateful, we're sobered today at your precision, at your accuracy in which you bring about the, uh, the historical fulfillment of the prophecies that we've read. Uh, Lord, we know you're real. We know that, that you're true. And yet these prophecies just bolster our faith that uh, hundreds of years before this happened, uh, you told Ezekiel and you told Isaiah exactly what would come about, and it did. Uh, Lord, will you uh, put a sense of gratitude in our hearts that uh, you have been kind to us? And will you also motivate a sense of urgency that uh, that your final judgment is coming and uh, your your opportunity, the opportunity that you give us, does not last forever. And uh, so we might be active and eager in sharing the gospel. And even even as we read Isaiah to think this chapter, these chapters are here to warn us of the days ahead. So thank you for your kindness in warning us. Help us to share that news. And, and may many men and women repent as a result of what we've read today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.